You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Summer camp, and I'm like, it's time for salvation and revival. This is it. I'm done with the chubby bunny. You know, I told you last week. So we go out there, and, um, and Todd Agnew was leader, worship leader. I missed Francis Chan by one, one year. I was, I was bummed about that, but he was supposed to preach the next year. And uh, I'm just ready for just tears and altar calls. And there was, man. And the power of God uh, is not humanism. The power of God transcends psychology. It transcends, you know, books about hurt and sociological things. It'll break on through something that could take you three years of counseling. It'll just break right into your mail and just start talking to you. And that's, that's the beauty of grace. It wrestles us down and changes us, and humans can't do it. So um, uh, it did cause revival in, in, in the individuals that were there in the group, but not in the way that you would think. So Dustin uh, Hughes, some of you might know Dustin Hughes from prior church that I worked at, um, was, the, uh, was the youth pastor there. And we did it three years in a row. So I saw, I saw the Lord's continuous perpetual grace in these situations. He would get us in one of the Anderson University, a little classroom. There's 40 or so. They would break you down into your youth groups, and we would have this moment, right, this encounter with God. And so, uh, and so they didn't even allow the kids to talk and sort of chum up between hands and lose focus. They would just say, let's be meditative and reflective, and let's just go to the room and carry this altar with us to talk it out. And all that Dustin would have to say every single year, I mean, he was not like Mr. Speaker guy or whatever per se, right? So he just said, what's on your heart? What's going on? And, and the good thing about him and small group leaders, I want to encourage you to lean into awkward silence because beyond the silence and the awkwardness is, is, the moment, is the connection. That's where the connection is. You have to push past the awkwardness. That's the distance. It's there for a reason. So they get there, and one kid will open up every year. Sometimes it was at the 10-minute mark, the 12-minute mark, or the 20-minute mark. But he would wait it out. And that one kid would open up the inner world to share with the outer world how they were doing. And uh, it would be about cutting. It would be about pornography. It would be about same-sex attraction. It would be about, you know, drinking. Like any number of things that's going to come into a kid's life and they don't have proper family around them. And they just open up and share. And the contagiousness of vulnerability is that you think that when you share, you're going to experience shame, but actually you, sh- you share boldly, you share according to the truth and grace of Jesus, and you're met by grace, and it opens up a contagiousness to share more. And there's a downhole effect of a snowball, like what was hard, hard to start is now hard to stop. And so the contagiousness of vulnerability and connection and real truth and real grace and real family takes hold of that room. And there's a moment there. And so what, did, what, did, what are the kids? What are the kids experiencing? What are we experiencing when we in, in, encounter moments like that? Few and far between truth moments, right? Is that, that the basis of this whole cathedral of the world is something called truth. Like Genesis 1, God says stuff and it happens. He blesses it. He calls it good. And so the pillar of the thing is this immovable logos. Like God created gravity that time ago and it's never changed. And so at the foundation of this thing is not feelings, it's truth. Listen, and truth is good. I created this thing. It's true. It's good. I bless it. It is good. And so what people find, right, whether they're 16 or 66, is that when we encounter the truth, we run from it, man. We hate it. We conceal it. We distort it. We deflect it. We project it. We do not want truth up in our business. We don't like truth. The elephant's in the room. You know the truth. You don't want to talk about the truth. You're running from the truth, right, because we think the truth's here to hurt us, but it's not, is it, right? The truth is here to heal us. Because all truth is God's truth. Truth is not mean, mean, mean-spirited and judgmental. Truth has grace with it. And nothing that, that is ever true is ever truer than, than Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And truth has grace with it. And truth is not a tax accountant. Truth is a doctor. 
It might hurt you, but it's here to heal you. And so Jacob's story, right? This is the thing is that he's wrestling, he's wrestling, and he's about to wrestle and encounter God, but really he's wrestling and encountering the truth. And it's the thing that he's been running from his whole life, and it's the thing he's been ruining, and the things that he doesn't want, but it's really the best part of his life is when he finally encounters truth. You might have seen, a, um, you know, if you're alive for two dozen, two decades or so or whatever, you know, you're going to see a pastor or a leader fall. And, um, and I think it's a misnomer because the phrase that people will use when a pastor or a leader falls is they'll say, so-and-so fell from grace. And the assumption there is that, you know, the pastor or the leader is doing great and they're abounding in fruit and they have this ministry or they have this family or they have this leadership role. And all of a sudden they kind of like swerved off, the, swerved off a little bit and got involved in something they should have had. They had a lapse in judgment and they fell. But nine times out of ten, when you really inspect the autopsy of that thing and you really look backwards, they didn't just fall there, right? Character wasn't just damaged, it was revealed. And what's the worst point in time for that pastor or leader of that community is actually probably the best point in time. Because they've actually just encountered the truest truth that they've ever encountered. Because they weren't really living in truth and anointing and gospel and grace and da-da-da. They're living on popularity and, and ego and, and, and fame and all that kind of stuff. And they never even thought twice to think about truth. And so they're building something that Jesus would say, listen, is on sand and not rock. So when, when, when Jacob finally gets caught by grace, he's actually getting caught by truth at the same time. And it's the best thing that ever happened to him. It's the best thing. He gets injured, but he's actually healed. He gets his name changed, and it's not because the old one was bad and the new one's better. It's because the old one never was his name. He never was built to be a deceiver. He was built to be dependent. And his name means Jacob. He was always Jacob from the start. It's just that he didn't know his own name. So now he walks out knowing his own name. So what do I know and you know? The pastor, pastors that I know that have fallen, if they've encountered Jesus in the middle of it, they're actually better off than they ever were before. They're more likely to cry. They're more likely to, to forgive. They're more likely to repent. They're more likely to understand their fragility, man. And they're actually closer to Jesus than ever before. The truth has not come to injure us. It's come to heal us. And this is what Jacob's going on, right? So here's, here's the story. I'll set you up, and we'll get into the passage this morning. Genesis uh, 30 at the end. We'll get into 31. It's a long chapter. It's actually part one. I call this, this sermon Schemes, Scandals, and Sandcastles. So this will be good, right? Part one of, of three. It's a long story, so you've got to come to the next one. So, so the movie, a good movie, a Shakespeare has three acts, right? So one is characters, two is plot, three is rising action. And so we got a hold of Jacob's character. He, he stole the birthright and the blessing. It makes it real convenient. They start with bees, right? So we get a, a, a trajectory for this guy's life. In his home and where he's launched from, he leaves his home without blessing. And although he's blessed from God, he rejects the blessing and he's running from the blessing that God's trying to give him because he doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust the truth. He doesn't believe the truth is good. It comes to, he, to hurt him, not to heal him. So he's running from the truth his whole life. His whole life is running from the truth. He's blessed, running from the truth. And so he encounters his work and his wife, right? He encounters Laban, and he encounters Rachel and Leah, his two wives, and the servants that go along with them. And so he creates these contracts of deception, because what else do deceivers do except create contracts of deception, and they manipulate each other? We got into that. Now, Act 3, this is where it comes, right? So that you know the Django party, and they keep pulling the Django blocks out, and you're like, this is just not, it's not good. Act three, the story of Jacob is, is, is the sandcastle right at the beach. It's a matter of time that these Jenga blocks are about to fall down. Best part of Jacob's life. It's going to be great. It's three Sundays from now. You know, bad news precipitates good news. Jesus is behind all of it. He's working on Jacob. He's trying to heal him. He's chasing him for his own good to save him from himself. But the Jenga blocks are, are not steady right now. 
right? And you're going to see this, is, this passage is all about what it means to build a life on sand, not rock. Everyone can hear the voice of God. Everyone hears, but only the wise man walks it out. The fool is the one that hears the voice of God and walks away unchanged. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned. Oh, no, excuse me, I'm ahead of myself. Let me back up, let me back up. Um, so here we go. Verse 25, we're in 30. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and my children, whom I have served you for, and I will go on my way. Okay, so he's done with the party. He's done with the Jenga. He sensed maybe the toppling of it or whatever. He just senses it. You know how much work I have done for you. So, uh, so Jacob, um, Jacob says, he opens up this passage, and Jacob says, I'm, I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. Okay, so what's relevant about this, okay, is that this harks back to the beginning of the story, like before Jacob was born and even another couple of points before the story, of the promise of God, because the thing's based, based on promise. It's not based on, on, on Jacob's will or decisions. That's what his life is, is about. And, and Jacob, if we read back from Genesis 22, should not have been there anyways. He's, he's been there for 20 years. So if you're just catching up, Jacob has been there for 20 years to work and get his wife. And he was never supposed to leave home in the first place. The word of the Lord has always been for Jacob to be home. Not that everybody needs to stay home, but the word of the Lord was that Jacob was supposed to be at home. So, so the truth has found him, right? And then we're going to find God speaks only one time in the passage here in verse 33. We'll get to it. He only speaks one time and tells Jacob to go home, which brings up a very important part that should strike us, right? And that is that Jacob has the ability to hear God when he's not listening to him. It's pretty interesting, right? You think about that. Like his word, the word of the Lord, is that you're going to be a blessed nation. You have your own home. You don't need to go. When Isaac goes to find a wife and goes to Laban, uh, Abraham puts a hand under his servant and demands that the servant doesn't stay. He sends out the servant, not the son. The servant goes to get the wife. Remember this? We're rehearsing this when he goes to get Rachel. And, and, and refuses to stay with Laban. I will not eat with you. I will not stay here. I will not even stay a night. Based on the obedience of God, I'm going to trust the word of the Lord. I am not going to stay here. Right? That was Isaac's story, and he's out. He gets the wife. He avoids 20 years of all this pain. Jacob shows up. Laban pulls the same deal. Jacob's not rooted. Jacob's not founded. Jacob doesn't know who he is or where he's coming from, so a month turns into 20 years. But he's hearing the voice of God. So this is what this is saying, right? So, so Jesus says that the wise man is the one who hears the voice of God and acts it out, but even fools hear God's voice. Even six-year-olds, when they first have a little crush on a girl, are hearing lots of different voices, parents' voice, their voice, for sure, but even six-year-olds hear the voice of God. Even six-year-olds. Football players, they go off to Clemson, they have lots of pressure on them, they're working super hard, and, and they are watching film, and they're trying to make their way, and they're learning about teamwork, and they're learning about coach and authority, but guess what else they're learning about? They're learning, they're learning about the kingdom of God. Why? Because Revelation says that that, that, well, Romans 1 says that general revelation speaks to us through all creation, and there's never been a movie or a conversation or a date or a breakup or a fight that isn't screaming at you the word of God. So this is the deal. He is speaking. It's not that we can't hear him and need to go find him. It's that he's speaking. We don't listen. So the truth of God is not passive. The truth of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pursues us, right? Knowledge sits in Wikipedia until the one that's smart enough digs to it. But Jesus screams out truth to reach at every corner that anyone would ever hear it. So the question is not whether or not God is speaking. The question is whether or not we're listening. Because you can hear the voice of God without listening. But wouldn't it be better to listen? Wouldn't it be better to listen to what, what God is saying instead of 
accidentally hearing it. Verse 27, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. He's the stayer. Don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. I need your blessing. I know that you're blessed. And if I bless you, you can bless me. And you're a great business associate. I want to commodify the word of God. I want to commodify the blessing of God. God's word cannot be commodified. I have learned by divination. Anytime you try to engage in spiritual activity without the spirit of Jesus on it, it's demonology. If it's not rooted in the gospel, if I can't get to a cross and a tomb from the word that we're talking about, not everybody that hears a spiritual word is hearing the Holy Spirit. Get the scripture at the center of that thing. It's too dangerous to mess around with, right? So, okay, so he says, stay with me. I have this divination, and here's the irony, because God loves, he lo- have you seen this rerun before? He loves getting an insider up against an outsider and having the outsider do what the insider should be doing. He loves putting a church in the middle of a justice movement that cares more about, like, you know, the, the oppressed and the marginalized and the poor than the church does. He loves that. That's his routine, man. He's always showing the world doing things that we should care about more than the world. That doesn't mean anybody's more saved than anybody else. I'm just saying that it's very convicting when the non-believer has more faith than the believer does. Well, it happens all the time, though. Like, this is, his, this is his MO, dude. He's always doing this. So what is happening? Jacob can hear God, but he's not listening. Laban is actually hearing and listening, but he doesn't trust. He wants a business association with God. He wants to use God. So he's using divination. You see that? The one who is supposed to be listening is only hearing. And the one that should be trusting is listening for his own advantage. But the outsider, the irony here, the outsider is listening to God more than the insider is. That'll wake you up. I don't know what that means to you, but it's interesting and it's biblical. So uh, Jacob, Jacob all of a sudden, oh, oh yeah, we're talking about God now, right? It's like now I'll talk about God. I got something to say about that. So he's talking about God as, it, as it's to his advantage. Jacob says to him, you know, I've been working for you for this livestock that have uh, fared under my care, and it's exploded, it's been great. Verse 30, the little you have uh, before, I came increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, then, uh, when, I, when may I do something for my own household? So you see that verse 30, there it is. It's the first time that Jacob quotes the promise. Jacob has quoted the promise only, only in response to Laban quoting the promise. Uh, you or you, somebody you know might have a dusty testimony from 2008 student camp, right? And that testimony is what you bring out at Bible study. And when it's time to date the girl and she's a Christian and you need to say something Christian, and when it's to your advantage, it's time to bring that testimony out. And that testimony was real. I mean, he met God face to face. I mean, heaven opened and he had a genuine grace experience. He knows the Lord. He knows the promises of the Lord. He knows the promises of scripture. He sat with his parents. They went through Bible school, right? They went to the worship events. He was the first one at the altar call, right? He knows it, right? But the testimony is old and it's dusty. And he's only bringing it out when it's time for his advantage. And he's only going to do it, he use it to the bargain, right? To the same way that Laban wants to, Right? And so can I just make a quick word here? Because the theme is about the theme is about the truth that shouts out to us at every every rooftop. It doesn't need to shout even to be heard. It can whisper and be more true than everything else. And the, the good news today of Jesus is that truth comes to heal and not to hurt. And every truth that is built anything, built the kingdom of God or the framework of this world, is good and blessed in Jesus' name because of the Sabbath. It is good, it is holy, it's set apart. Anything that, that comes from the mouth of God is true, it is not void, and you can pile a hundred historical facts and scientific evidence, but nothing will stand against the truth of Jesus because facts need Jesus to have truth. All right, so, so this is about truth. And, and, and so just bear with me here, right? There's a couple of recipes as you're, as you're, this is speaking to us right now about 
What is the word of the Lord? Are you listening to the word of the Lord? The fool is the one that hears, walks away unchanged. The wise man is the one who listens and hears, takes account, doesn't walk away unchanged, but does something about it. Are you listening to what the word of the Lord is saying? So, to hear what God is saying in your life, he just walk around. He's talking all the time. And so prayer is really helpful. So there's three things, and I've taught on this before, and this is something, you know, you might consider, right? So it's almost like you've got a bumper, like a bowling alley, right? And the two different sides of it. You want the community on one side, you want the Bible on the other side, and you want the Spirit right down the middle, right? What is the Spirit of God saying through the Word of God, through the people of God? This is how we hear God's voice. But let me just add an element to this. And I think, I've been sitting on it for a while, and I think it's, I think it's really, it's been helpful to me is that one of the greatest assets and valuable things that you have in hearing and discerning what is the difference between the voice of God and divination, right? This is it. I think that the, one of the assets and ingredients we have is time. I think that one of the things that is going to show you and prove to you and put your feet on rocks instead of sand is that God's going to say things to you through the Scripture, through people, through the Spirit. Listen, consistently, slowly, and over time. Like, God's not in a rush. And God's been saying the same thing to Jacob for 20 years. And so here's the, here's the trouble with it is, I think, like, in, in, the, in the freneticness of just, like, getting words and trying to, uh, God says this, and then go right, and then what if I miss it, and I miss the left turn? And the, listen, let me just tell you, God is so much slower than you and I. He's got a lot more time on his hands. And he will speak to you, and if he wants to speak to you, he'll tell you over time. He'll tell you through a person and then another person. He's not, it's not disobedient, right? Like, he'll tell you through the scriptures. He'll remind you. He'll, he'll show you. It's like leaving the bread in the oven so you don't pull it out when it's raw. Let that thing cook. And if God's trying to tell you something about a job or a spouse, the one thing that you can challenge that word with is time because time loses to God's truth. Like, truth is timeless. And if God said something, he'll say it to you over and over again. And you can, he, can, he will be patient with you. Uh, we're doing a, a small group in the mornings, and... Um, couple guys, and, and so we've been doing the journal, and I'm always pulling the journal, and I'm, it's, I'm just, I think it's really helpful. I hope that's helpful to, for you, and we're going to, uh, actually, I ordered another one from Grace Printing Shop, and there'll be more of them, and they're edited, and they're better, and all that stuff, and they'll be out there, so if you want another one, next week, come back. So there's a daily, weekly, and monthly spread. I know that a lot of you guys, 99% of you, when I talk to you, didn't even know there's a monthly one, but we'll get to that in a second. So we meet in this huddle, and, um, and, and the journal is about sharing uh, daily, weekly, and monthly rhythms of prayer. Rhythms are important for prayer. It's not just what we do on Monday, but for the ethos of our life. So what happens is, is we get together, and this can happen with your spouse, it can happen with your friend, it can happen with your small group. And just the essence of getting in a vehicle together and just saying, we're going to read Matthew, I promise you that without those types of human commitments and structure and predictable patterns of grace, we're out to the waves, man. Like, we need those predictable patterns. We need those commitments. Those are so important to us. I don't care if you're a feeler or if you're a systems person, planner, like we need those predictable patterns. Good ones that have values, get to's, not have to's, but the point is predictability. So what happens is you get into the scripture every day. And just that alone is amazing because guess what? He's always speaking through Matthew. It's amazing. Like biblical hearing has to do with literacy in a lot of ways, right? Or hearing the Lord's voice has to do with biblical literacy. So you hear Matthew, right? And every week you get together and the whole thing is about sharing what's grateful, what's sticking out to you, what's true, what's important, how are you planning, how are you following practically the steps of Jesus. And what happens every time is there's good things that are shared every week. Every week, every week, there's good things. 
But there's a lot of things, and we talk about a lot of things. And then there's like, you know, the workout stuff, and then there's, you know, relationship stuff, and there's gospel stuff, and there's hospitality stuff. And there's all these themes, and we're just throwing them around. But listen, this last week we met up, and we did the monthly one. The monthly one's at the beginning, and that's where it is if you ever want to find it. And the monthly one, you go through with the week, and you highlight, right? You highlight the 10 things from the weekly one, and then you try and come up with just the one thing from the monthly one. And if I couldn't tell you that every single person, and I'm not talking about PhD, like we are just guys, just searching after scripture, trying to love our families well. Every single person, every single person heard a singular, consistent, from January 1 to January 31st, word from the Lord. I mean, if there's something that you could wish for your neighbor or for your friend or for yourself more than having the confidence that God spoke to you, I know that he spoke to me this word because he's been saying it on the first and the second and the third and the fourth through community through the spirit. But guess what? We wouldn't have heard it if we wouldn't have listened and we wouldn't have been changed if we wouldn't have trusted. So you got to show up. And it's a daily, weekly, monthly thing. The thing is we're so preoccupied with the worries of the world and the attraction of money and the commodification of the word. Listen, he's patient enough to speak to you over time. And if you will commit yourself to just leaving that scripture and that choice in the oven a little bit longer, I promise you, you'll walk out with a confidence. I would never come up here for a sermon and not have started on Monday. I start on Sunday. I'll start for this next Sunday's sermon. This Sunday, I'll be already thinking about it, right? Because I don't want to get up here and not have time on my side. I want to get up here and say something, right, to, to y'all and, and, and read the scripture with you. If I haven't seen time, test the thing and check it out with community and check it out with the spirit. Your life is too valuable. Your decisions are too important. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now is the time. And you have to have the word of the Lord because if you don't have the word of the Lord in your life, somebody else will have a word for you. And you'll be too wayward and whipped around by the culture to not know what the truth is. So I bless you, man. The, month, the years are built of months and the months are built of weeks and the weeks are built of days. And I promise you, you're a child. My sheep know me. You can hear God's voice. Six-year-olds can hear the Lord's voice. The problem is, is getting rid of all the other voices. That's the problem. That's the problem is getting rid of the voices. So what do you do? You look for the one that's the longest. You look for the one that has the most truth and grace. You look for the one that has the fruit. You look for the one that has the scripture. You look for the one that speaks to you through your enemy's mouth and through your friend's mouth. You look for the word because it's a 360 thing, man. If it's real, it'll prove itself. It'll prove itself over time. So give yourself that time. It's the greatest resource that you have in hearing God's voice. Give it time. All right, so verse 31. What shall I give you, he said. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from, every, from this flock every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb or every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages and my, listen to this, and my honesty of all the ironic words that you could put into this passage. There is not one honest word in this entire 67 verses he says, we're going to build this contract that we're going to have between you and me on honesty. The Bible knows what irony is, not just Shakespeare, right? So honesty, right? There's, this is a juxtaposition of, of, of great irony. And my honesty, there's no honesty here, testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on my wages, you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored uh, will be considered stolen. Okay, so I got to rush through this and I'll use my little like... Um, what do you call that when every word starts with, an, with, with the same letter? I'll use one of those to make it quicker. Yeah, that's the old preacher school. Move through the points quicker with the, with the alliterations. Um, when, we, when we walk apart from the truth of God, we become deceivers. The first person we deceive is ourselves, and then we create contracts of deception with everybody else. If you can't have truth with God, you certainly can't have truth with anybody else. 
So the Bible's talking to us about human contracts and what happens when we deceive ourselves. The irony is that there is no honesty, and so the plan is basically right that we're going to, uh, Jacob's going to be on his way. He should have been on his way a long time ago. He's still answering to Laban's contract for fear of man, and so he's going to go ahead and take what he believes is deserved to him in the next 20 years. And so you're going to read this whole scheme, because schemes always lead to scandals, and scandals always lead to um, sandcastles. But Jacob and Laban, they create this contract. There's no honesty within it. And so the minute, you're going to see in a minute, uh, Laban strikes the deal, shakes the hand. Laban gets up and leaves and takes all the male goats that are spotted. So Jacob's supposed to take the spotted ones and the speckled ones. And, and so Laban gets ahead of the game, right? Deceivers always think that everybody else is deceiving them. So deceivers got to deceive to out-deceive the deceiver, right? So you know that somebody's going to lie. So you got to go and make the bargain and, and play the game. That's how we do this as humans. We play the game. Like, I'll be honest when they're honest. But if they're not honest, I'm not going to be honest with them because uh, I'll wait till they're honest, right? So that's how that goes. So, so Laban goes ahead and takes the male goats. He's a conniver. He takes the male goats away so there can't be any speckled or spotted. But Jacob is the deceiver and happens to have the upper hand just because he's blessed, just because God loves him. And he has the stupidest possible idea that should never work, except God's so abundantly good that he blesses Jacob even in his deception, man. It's just awful in a good way, right? It's just awful. I, I, the, the girlfriend before I had with Kyra, I broke up with her locker. I broke up with her locker. I was like, I, I love Kyra. I want to go date Kyra. And so I wrote a note, and I was too scared to say it to her, so I just put it in her locker. And I'm married now with six ki- four kids. Do I deserve this? Absolutely not. Come on. Listen, you see me, you know God's real, right? So, so this is the idea is, is God's blessing him, even though he's a doofus, okay, right? And he, and he puts these... He puts these goats in front of these speckled trees and he's like, if they drink the water in front of the speckled trees, they'll become speckled because that makes a ton of sense. And then they do become speckled. Uh, I don't know how you vet that out in systematic theology. But point is, is that they're deceiving each other. And I do think there's a wink, wink, nod, nod because listen, Jesus says at the end of time, he's going to discern the difference between sheep and goats. And his word is going to judge truly. I think the story is telling us this is what man does with their sheep and goats idiots, right? Like they're just stealing people and, and quoting the wrong things and giving bad contracts and shaking hands and running from it and, you know, just creating sandcastles out of their whole life, out of things that matter. And Jesus is like, guess what? When I come back, I'm going to judge between the living and the dead. And I know the difference between truth and lie. And my, my, my word is like a sword. It's going to cut right to the quick, man. And I will not mess around. Like I know the difference between truth and, and folly, right? Because I made it and I'm the source of truth. So um, I'm not even going to read it. it. That's the summary of it. I'll, it goes all the way through verse 43, and for the, sake of, for the sake of time. But the truth, the first person we deceive is ourself, and we can tr- create contracts of deception. And, and so because of this, we, we deflect. Like the, like the deal is in, in the group, everybody wants the group to be honest and transparent and vulnerable because you know that's where, that's where Jesus' transformation happens. But nobody wants to go first. So the contract we make with man is like, okay, God, I'll be honest with you. I'll speak the truth in love once everybody else starts doing it. Right? This is the rarity of somebody that actually speaks with grit and truth and walks without the fear of man and in the fear of the Lord as they speak the word of the Lord in every season, daily, weekly, and monthly. But they're just waiting for everybody else to do it first. And if he's honest, then I'll be honest. And can we just call the elephant in the room? Like, I think what it's saying is like, we're not honest because they're honest. We're honest because he's honest. We're honest because we can't afford not to be honest. We're honest because our households depend on it. We're honest because our relationship with him vertically and relationship horizontally with loving, loving neighbor is, is contingently dependent on whether or not our word is based on you know, Genesis 1 or Genesis 3. And so it's, the, the stakes are far too high, right? And so, so this deception, right? What did I write down? The deception uh, leads to um, deflection. It deflects. Like, we'll be honest once they're honest. 
And we'll speak the truth, and once they'll speak the truth, and everybody will dance around the elephant till kingdom come, knowing that there's truth right in the middle of the room, but nobody will call it out because, because the truth is too costly for them. And because they believe that it's better to build houses on sand, you know, rather than brick. And so watch this. This is just amazing. I'll read it through and see if you catch it. But um, the deception, right, it leads to a distortion of the voice to other people. So watch this. Um, and there's just so many passages, so I apologize that it's hard to move through it all. But verse 31, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed Laban's attitude towards him and uh, that it was not what it had been. You notice how like people that are deceivers always can't just speak the truth and like ask people, what do you really think and what are you going to do? There's always this you know, game where you're reading people's body language and they just said it like this, but they put a dot, dot, dot at the end of the text message. And so that just means that they hate me. So I'm never talking to them again, right? So this is how deceivers work. This is how we do things because we don't speak the truth. It's too expensive. And we don't trust that God's truth is good. We're running from it. We're afraid that it won't heal us. It'll hurt us. So we run away from the truth and we're waiting for everybody else to tell the truth before we'll own up and tell the truth. That's how that works, right? And so he's like, oh, the attitude has changed. You know, the weather's changed, so I'm going to get out of here. He says, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. There it is. That was the word of the Lord. What's the truth? The truth is, Jacob should have been home. The truth is, Jacob is blessed. But Jacob doesn't know he's blessed, and so he's running from the truth, and he's cursing other people. And Jacob has sinned. That's the truth. It's not any fancier than that. Jacob has sinned against God, sinned against man. Laban has sinned against uh, Jacob and sinned against his daughters, and, and Rachel and Leah have both sinned against themselves as well as everybody else. They're all sinning, right? They're all in this web. So he says the father's attitude has changed, verse 5, but God of my father, now he's talking the God language. When the lies haven't worked out for him and the Jenga blocks are about to fall, he starts to call on God. Now it's time to call on God. But the God of my father has been with me. You know, and watch how he adds to the truth. Man, I mean, this is, if it's not telling us, that whether it's Bible study or even here in prophetic words, that the, 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 the sense of humanity is, to, is we are helplessly deceived because, because one is we don't hear everything that God says, but then on top of that, we seldom act and speak of what, what God says, plus and minus nothing. So the idea is that we're always spinning. This is, watch this passage about how much is added. The word of the Lord for Jacob should be this, go home. It's that simple. But watch how much he adds. And watch how much he makes himself a victim. And watch how he makes everyone else a villain. And watch how he, he connives and adds to the word of the Lord, which is true. But he spins it and distorts it. Watch how he distorts the word of the Lord to the people around him. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah. And so he's going to create this like committee consensus. And that's what people do. We like to get people around us to confirm the word that we want to be true. And we get enough people. We select the people that come into the circle to convince us of the truth that we already wanted to hear in the first place. Because we called only the people that are going to agree with us. And we create a little... A little enclave, right? A little, a little hub around us to insulate that lie within our lives. Your father's attitude towards me is different than before, but the God of my father has seen me, and you know that I've worked for your father with all my strength. I mean, I never lied from him. I never cheated him. I never, like, took any of his goats. Verse 7 never mentions that. Yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages 10 times. Well, it's true, but he left out his side of the bargain. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. So God's on his side because he's the hero and he's the victim and he's never the villain, right? This is what we do. We make ourselves the, the, the victim, right? Verse 8, if he said the speckled ones will be... Uh, your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And he said, the streaked ones will be your wages. And then all the flocks bore streaked uh, young. So God has taken away your father's livestock. This is his bottom line conclusion. The word of the Lord starts with go home, right? But Jacob adds enough stuff so that by, he, by the time it gets out of his mouth to his wives and his little group, verse nine says, so God has taken me away from your father's livestock and has given them to me. It started with go home. You went too far. 
you should believe in the promise. And it turned into, I deserve these sheep and goats and God's on my side and how come this person hurt me and harmed me? You see how that works? You see how far we strayed? I mean, we started from the truth, but we strayed. This is the nature of humanity, that we hear the word of God, but we spin the word of God and we distort the word of God, we deceive the word of God. And this is what it is, whether or not we're reading the scriptures or listening to the spirit or talking to people, like we are unlimited in our ability to manipulate the scriptures and the truth according to what we want. We redefine good and evil on our own terms. This is what Adam and Eve did, and this is what we're continuing to do all the time if we're not yielded to what Jesus is trying to say. And so, um, and so this is maybe a checkpoint for you. Like, take your journal, and, and maybe not just during the week, or maybe not even just during the month, because God will have different words in different seasons, and again, he's patient, and he speaks to you over time, and his truth comes to heal you. But if you, if you add the January, the February, the March, and the April, and the May, and the June, and July, and this is why it's good to write down. I mean, what are the words you're responding to? You should write those things down. They matter enough that they're going to affect your legacy, right, and your spiritual growth. You should write them down. If I'm going to write down a sermon to give a speech, right, versus choices that we're making with our invaluable, precious time, write those things down. And here's the thing, man. If you write 12 months in a row, and you're always the victim, but you're never the rescued, you're listening to the wrong voice. Because this is, the, this is how, this is how the, the lie will show itself. If you are always the victim and someone else is the bad guy and they're the reason why things aren't going well for you and God is on your side vindicating you against the whole entire world because started from the bottom, now we're here. And I'm just, God's just saving me from all these other people. He's not saving me from myself. You're probably not reading the gospel. I would say go back and read it again because the number one definer of who you are and who I am and who Jacob obviously is in this story is not the superhero. He's the rescued. And this whole story is about Jesus. And this whole story is about the gospel. And this whole story is about saving us from us, not from them. And so that's what I would, I would equip you with. I would challenge you. Start with your days. Your days out equal to weeks and then from months. And if you have community around you and you sense the word of God, then trust it and walk out on it. But as you reflect and as you look at it through the years, if every word you're saying makes the villain outside of you and not inside of you, you might check it again. Because the Bible disagrees with us. The Bible disagrees with us in terms of we don't like to hear to hate our mother and father. We don't like to hear things like sell all your money and give it to the poor and follow me. We don't like to hear things like um, we, don't, we don't like to hear, hear things like uh, Jesus is the only way, the truth and life. We don't like that. And so we pick the parts that we like. We leave out the things that we don't. We don't allow the Bible to offend us. But if we are the deceiver who's deceiving and we're the one that's constantly creating deception, then we were helplessly deceived and we need to allow the spirit of truth to come and rescue us from ourselves. And so that's what I would say in terms of the process of hearing. All right, let me, uh, let me bring this home. I gotta read fast. Verse 10. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats. Okay, so he goes on and, and, and shares more of the dream. It's basically the same thing, the victim story. Verse 14, Rachel and Leah chime in. Rachel and Leah reply, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever he has told you to do. So there it is. So Jesus, so, 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 so Jacob has decided to hear the word of the Lord, add and subtract to it enough that it spins in his favor, makes him the hero, makes everybody else the enemy. He finds friends that can go ahead and agree with him. Uh, he's, not the, he's, he's not the villain, he's the victim. Uh, he's not being rescued by truth. And so he knows enough truth to hurt himself, right? That's the idea. We know just enough of the Bible to hurt ourselves with it, to declare things in Jesus' name that are not in Jesus' name and to declare the gospel and redefine it in ways that never offends us and offends everybody else and never allows the truth to confront us. 
And so we perpetuate this lie. We create this insulation that has to do with our theology and our doctrine and the people that we encircle ourselves with. And we don't listen. We hear, but we don't listen. And if we do listen, we don't trust. So we collect enough people around us and we create this conspiracy. And so even the daughters are like, yeah, that's right. We're awesome and they're awful and God's come to vindicate us. And so let's pray about it in Jesus' name. And now we're feeling good about it. But there's no rescue. There's no truth. There's no trust. And the Jenga blocks are still, still shaking and we'll have to pick that up. But here's the point I want you to get. This is, this, is where, this is where he gets you, right? Have you ever seen a good movie where you didn't know who the bad guy was until the very end? You know what I'm talking about? You ever see uh, Usual Suspects with Kaiser Soze? Don't watch it. It's just, it'll haunt you. But it was a great, it's a great ending in terms of when the villain is sitting right in front of you. And the police officer is looking at all the different webs and all the different uh, clues that he, he has a story and it flashes you, right? The different scenes from the thing. And you see how the mom or whoever it was was really the bad guy the whole time. And Kevin Spacey's like walking out because he was supposed to be this cripple. And you never expect the cripple to be the bad guy. He's so weak and he's a victim and he's like a little schmeagle, you know. And he goes like this. And then the detective realizes who it is. It's Kevin Spacey, right? He's the bad guy the whole time. And he drops the mug. And as the mug drops, this is like cinematography 101. As the mug drops, you see this little cripple just come up like this and just walk straight out like this off into the sunset, man. Oh, my goodness. It just, whew, It just works you, man. Who's the real villain? Verse 17, when Jacob put his children and his wives on the camels to ride off into the sunset and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram. I'm walking with the truth. I heard the word of God. God knows me. He's calling me off into my next place. That person, I'm going to dust the feet off my thing because they're all wrong and I'm all right. And God's going to vindicate me against my enemies because that's why God's here to make me the good guy and them the bad guy. Right? See how that works. He's not confronted the truth. He has enough truth to hurt him. He drove off with livestock ahead of him and along with all the goods and he accumulated in Paddan Aram to go to his father's Isaac's house in Canaan, where he should have been the whole time. Verse 19. When Laban had gone to shear sheep, interesting, this is it. Rachel stole her father's household gods. Funny we haven't heard about this. Where are these household gods? Like, where are these from? She's like, show up on the mantle. All of a sudden you're looking into the luggage of this thing and we didn't hear about the household gods. We didn't talk about them. They don't have any history. They don't have any character development. They just show up out of nowhere. These household gods that are somehow significant to how this story is going. And it will continue into part two if you come next Sunday, right? Verse 20, moreover, Jacob deceived Laban and the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled, he fled with all that he had and crossed the Euphrates River and headed for the hill country of Gilead. It was the household gods that were, that were hurting him in the first place. He was serving the household gods when he was making his deal and shaking his hands and staying for 20 years. It was all about the idols, wasn't it? It was always the idols. God was always there, and he was always the truth to heal him, but the idols were the ones that he held on to. And so he thought that the idol was the God. And the reason for the pain and his hardship and his heartache, he thought that God was causing all that by letting him be surrendered to this villain when really it was the idol that he held in his heart. It was the idol that was hurting him. It wasn't Jesus. And that's the great lie. Because we think the truth has come to hurt us, but it's come to heal us. And our idols make us blind and deaf at the same time. And they distort our vision, and they distort the way we talk, and they, and they collude, right, our, our, our communities and the way that we talk about what's true and what's not. And we walk off into a thousand sunsets thinking that we're the victor and we never get rescued. Walking off with our idol instead of the truth that God has wanted to save us with. God's not done yet. He's not giving up. He's going to keep on chasing them despite the idols. You're going to see what happens. It's going to be awesome. But the truth is here to trust, and the trust of the truth will heal you. The truth has come to set you free. This is what James 5 says. And I'll close you know, with this in, in, in some of my closing remarks, but James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins one to another. The truth will help you, man, and it'll heal you so quick. 
It's too expensive not to tell the truth. It's too expensive not to align your words and your actions with the truth. It's too expensive not to tell the friends that you love the truth in grace. Therefore, confess your sins one to another today. Do it today. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. In every room, in every relationship, there's an elephant. There's something that needs to get said. And most of the time, we don't say it because it's too costly. What if we don't know the truth and we say it and we get found out because we expected something or anticipated something and we, we judge something and we say something that's a little bit too true for the relationship and then they run away from the relationship? And what if it breaks the relationship and isn't it better to tell the white lie than the whole truth? Isn't it better to have a little bit of truth with a little bit of deception in the long run? But the foundations of the world are made of truth. And Jesus himself is truth and grace. And truth and grace is not Simon Cowell and judgment. Truth and grace comes to heal. And every word of truth that's spoken continues to embolden his church and embolden his people. Paul will talk about Ephesians 4 that we speak the truth in love. The truth is what sets us free. The truth is what heals us. And so I don't know about you in COVID. I've just been, the Lord's been working on me in so many ways. And I'm sure in, in you as well in kind of weird and unexpected seasons. But have you ever had a conversation that needed to be had 15 years ago? The truth finally comes out. And what do you find out? There's actually healing on the other side of it. And I'm telling you, man, I have two 15-year relationships, testimony time, of sharing just good, honest, loving truth with, with people. And I've had more intimacy and blessing on the other side of that word than all the 15 years before. And so thank, thank the grace of Jesus that I have that intimacy and blessing now. But, but pity and repent all the years that were lost. Because the truth will set you free. And family is not built by emotion. It's built by truth and by trust. And, and so that's the lie. Like, everybody's waiting on everybody else to tell the truth. And everybody's waiting on everybody else to be vulnerable. And everybody's waiting on everybody else to share the truth. But the person that shares the truth is always the one that's blessed, even if nobody else tells it. And so Jesus says, you know, if you're a disciple, like, you need to go and make disciples and teach them everything that I've commanded you to. Paul says that, if you're drinking milk still, you should be drinking meat. You're still listeners of the word. You should be teachers of the word. What does that mean? That means to be a disciple means to teach the truth, talk about the truth, and go first and be sacrificial in attacking elephants in the room. You've got elephants in the room and skeletons in your closet that need the truth and the truth of Jesus, not the truth of somebody else, because if it's not the truth of Jesus, it'll be somebody else. And today's the day to do it, not wait for somebody else to tell the truth, for you to tell the truth. If you're a deacon or an elder in this church or if you're a small group leader, part of your role is to speak the truth because it's not popular and nobody else wants to do it. But that's what a leader is, right? That's what a family member is. That's what it means to, to be a disciple is to teach the truth, to know the truth and to have the truth marinated on your daily and weekly and monthly rhythms of life so that when the time comes and it's time to open up, it's usually not a classroom or a syllabus or a, you know, a class or a course. It's usually a relationship over coffee and the truth comes and it's time to share the truth. And are you ready to share the truth? Do you know the truth? And have you allowed the truth to sit in your heart? Because truth is the basis of, of trust and trust is the basis of relationship and that's where discipleship is taking place. The truth has come to heal us and not hurt us. Uh, the intentional questions this morning and uh, I want to invite um, um, the band to come forward and I know we're going to have some time for prayer and I'm super excited about that. But these are some questions to consider and I'll pray us out. How might the truth of Jesus heal you and others this month? If something is true, uh, number one, if you guys would stand with me by the way, uh, if something is true, it'll be true over time. It'll be true when you're alone, and it'll be true when you're in community. It's significant that we find the truth because the truth is going to heal us. It's going to set us free. And so I'm just encouraging you, if you have something, whatever the truest truth that you know is, find that thing and let it sit. Submit it to authority. Submit it to the scripture and give it time. 
and the truth is the thing that's going to rescue and heal you and offer healing to the nations. And so I want to encourage you, number one, is to get alone without applause or criticism and then get within community and see if that truth holds up. Because if it's true, it'll hold up in community, it'll hold up when you're alone, and it'll hold up over time, over January, February, and March. What is that truth? How is the truth of Jesus healing you? Number two, how is the truth marinated in grace? The truth of Jesus does not sound like Simon Cowell. Sometimes we think that the truth of Jesus is being super tough on people and rough and just telling them like it is. No, the truth comes in love. So does it sound like Jesus and does it sound like the Father? That's number two. And number three, what is the truth saying in love to the world around you? I wonder what Jesus is saying to you. I wonder what truth is saying to you that we might hear it, not just hear it, but obey it and respond to it and align to it. And so, Father, I thank you for this prayer time that's coming up, that you are the spirit of truth and that you are going to um, set people free uh, free through prayer. Um, I thank you for this time of worship that you're going to meet with people. And I would ask, Lord, that um, you would greatly um, heal people in your name as truth would come to the surface to meet grace and find rescue in your son's name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.